right. Well, our second scripture reading today comes to us from Matthew chapter 2. We're going to read verses 13 through 23. Matthew 2, 13 through 23. You can find it in your pew Bibles on page 1498 Matthew 2 verses 13 through 23 where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so it was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So it was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, he will be called a Nazarene. Thus ends our reading of God's infallible word. May all who hear it find salvation in the one who is called a Nazarene. Johnny was just 17 when fate struck her. She had her whole life in front of her, and she and her sister, they were, they were only having a little fun swimming down at Chesapeake Bay. Unfortunately, Johnny dove into a spot of the water where she shouldn't have. Her head hit the rock, fracturing her spine, paralyzing her from the, from the shoulders down. And though Johnny would, would live... She would never really be able to use her arms or legs again. Last week we read about the, the Magi from the east, that they had seen the star rise out of Israel. And so they had traveled to Jerusalem, for they wanted to worship this newborn king of the Jews. However, it was there that they met another king, Herod. This news of the Messiah's birth disturbed Herod greatly. And yet he, he did not let on to these magi of his wicked scheme. 
but instead feigned that, that he too would, would like to find this young child and worship him. And so he ascertained from these men the exact time that the star had risen. And he had learned from the Jewish religious leaders where the Messiah was to be born. And so he sent those magis to Bethlehem to find this child with the orders to to report back to him so that he too may go and worship this child. So once again, these, these magi, they left and they were led by the star. They found Jesus and they worshiped him. And yet, before they went back to Herod, God had warned them through a dream not to go back. And so they, they returned to their country by another route. Of course, it wasn't just the, the magi that God had warned. Look again at, at verse 13 of our passage. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. It was in a a dream that God had told Joseph to take Mary as his wife. and, And now once again, it is in a dream that the Lord had warned him to flee from Herod. But, but not only did God give him the command to run, but he showed him the direction that he must go to Egypt. At that time in, in Egypt, there was this city called Alexandria. It was a very large city with a large Jewish population. You see, 600 years prior, when when the Babylonians had attacked Jerusalem, many of the Jews had fled to Egypt and made their home in Alexandria. And by the time Jesus was born, roughly a third of the city was Jewish, nearly 100,000 people. So this was a, a natural place for a young Jewish family to flee to, for they would have been out of Herod's reach, and they would have fit right in. The the, the point is that, that God, he not only preserves his Messiah, but he also prepares a place of refuge for him, shelter in a Gentile land with all the trappings of home. And so Joseph received this warning, but what did he do? Verses 14 and 15. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. Trusting in God's word, Joseph didn't waste any time. He he woke his family and fled that night. Once again, we see what type of man Joseph is. He was was obedient. Just as when God commanded him to take Mary as his wife, now too, he he doesn't hesitate, but simply believes God's word to be true and obeys his command. And it it was a good thing that, that he was quick to get out of there fleeing that night because Jerusalem was only a few miles away from Bethlehem. And it wouldn't take long for for Herod to figure out that these magi had betrayed him. 
Joseph's immediate obedience saved the lives of his family. But there's one more thing that we can take away from these verses. Matthew points out as well that, that this sojourn of our Lord was a fulfillment of Scripture. There's that word again, fulfill. We spoke of this a, a couple weeks ago. That, that when Matthew uses this word, what he is trying to communicate is that in Jesus, the Old Testament Scriptures find their full meaning. And in our passage for today, we, we see Matthew using this word fulfill three times. This, this first time is a reference to Hosea 11.1, 1, where, where God spoke of his affection for Israel. Listen to his words. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. Here, Hosea speaks of the, the Exodus narrative. As a nation, Israel was very young when they were slaves in Egypt. They were still just a child, needing to be led by the hand. And so God called them out of the land of slavery and directed their steps to the promised land. Likewise, Jesus was just a young child. And he too would be absent from the promised land, having to live in Egypt until his father would call him back. What Matthew is doing here is he is demonstrating to his audience that, that Jesus is a locus or, the, or the, the converging point of true Israel. In him we, we see represented all who are considered God's people. In other words, the, the stories that we read about from the Old Testament, they find their true meaning in this one born of Mary. But the story continues. Verse 16. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Again, one cannot help but think of the book of Exodus, when, when Pharaoh had all of the, the newborn sons of the Hebrew women killed. Only Moses, their future savior, was spared. And now we see the wrath of another king bringing destruction to the boys of Bethlehem. And yet, God had once again spared a savior for his people. Now you may be asking yourself, now why would any king really want to do this? Last week we talked about the paranoia and the violence of Herod. I mean, he, he had two of his own sons killed because he thought that they were after his throne. And so it's, it's no surprise that, that when he hears of the birth of this Messiah, the rightful king of the Jews, that we see this needless slaughter of the sons of Israel. Spending two years in, in painful rehab, Johnny learned to, to cope with her new life. She had acquired many new skills using only her mouth. 
she even discovered that she could paint and write. And yet she was bitter. She was angry at God, often desiring just to die. Her, her suffering and, and her life seemed pointless. Her, her family, they would, they would often take her to these famous faith healers in the hopes that she would receive a miracle. But when they got to the stage, she was turned away along with all the other serious cases. Those who really needed the help. It was as if God had, had rejected her with no explanation. Verse 17. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. You can imagine the great sadness and lament that passed through Bethlehem that night. Rachel, who, who was buried in near, nearby Ramah, weeps from her tomb at the, at the tragedy that is before her. With, with no warning, these, these mothers of Bethlehem had their joy taken from them. No explanation as to why. What do you do when calamity strikes home? It could be a car accident. It could be cancer. The violence of others. Eventually, you too will suffer. You cannot avoid it. You cannot run away from it. Where do you turn to when, when the evil of this world confronts you? Verse 19. After Herod died, an, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he had heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea, in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So it was fulfilled what was said through the prophets. He will be called a Nazarene. One more time, Joseph received a dream from the Lord. Wicked Herod was now dead. And the threat on Jesus' life had ended. For the most part. And yet Joseph did not return to Bethlehem. He was warned through this dream of Herod's son, Archelaus, another wicked and unstable man. <clears throat> so instead he, he settled in Galilee, in the town of Nazareth, his former home. And, and Matthew mentions that this was also to fulfill the prophets, that he would be called a Nazarene. Now we have a problem with this claim. For there's nowhere in the Old Testament where we see such a prophecy. So, so what's going on here? What does Matthew mean when he says, so was fulfilled 
what was said through the prophets, he will be called a Nazarene. To understand this, we, we need to get into the mind of a first century Jew. What do we know about Galilee and Nazareth in particular? Well, Galilee was a region where Jews and Gentiles lived together. They, they intermingled with one another. They were neighbors. And so, and so Jews in, in other regions, and particularly Jerusalem, tended to look down on Galileans because of their interaction with unclean people. And look at, look at John chapter 7, verses 45 through 52. Finally, the, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and Pharisees who asked them, why didn't you bring him in? No one ever spoke the way this man does, the guards declared. You mean he has deceived you also, the Pharisees retorted? Has any of the rulers or the Pharisees believed in him? No. But this mob that knows nothing of the law, there is a curse on them. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their number, asked, Does our law condemn anyone without first hearing him to find out what he is doing? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Look into it and you will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. And so you see that, that, that those from Jerusalem looked down on the Galileans. Surely a prophet couldn't come out of Galilee. But, but, but even the Galileans had their own pecking order. And Nazareth was the lowest of the low. Look, look at John chapter 1, verses 43 through 46. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and, and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. Nathaniel, a, a Galilean himself, mocked Nazareth. Nazareth was a, was a despised place, and, and to be called a Nazarene was considered an insult. You see, Jesus, he didn't, he didn't grow up as a Bethlehemite with all the Davidic overtones that comes from that town. Instead, he would be called a Nazarene, a slur to most Jews. And we see, we see the same thing in the book of Acts as well. Look at, look at Acts 24, verse 5. It's, it's here where Paul was being falsely accused as he was on trial before Felix. This is what his accusers said. We have found this man to be a troublemaker, stirring up riots among the Jews all over the world. He is a ringleader of the Nazarene sect. Having such a title thrust upon you of being part of the, the Nazarene sect, it, it was meant to be hurtful. They, they, they were words that were meant to sting. Being called a Nazarene was to cast shame upon a person. Today, it would be like using a racial slur. And, and any first century Jew reading Matthew's gospel would have caught on quickly to the point that he was making. 
So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets. He will be called a Nazarene. Matthew was, he was not saying that, it, that a certain prophet of old foretold that the Messiah would come out of Nazareth. No. What, what he was saying was that a number of the prophets said that the son of David would be despised and mocked and would be looked down upon. He would be called a Nazarene. Matthew is giving the reader a, a foretaste of the life Jesus would live and the, and the suffering that he would have to endure in order to rescue his people. God had, had spared this child from the, from the hands of Herod only to be later rejected by men and suffer a different type of death. Of course, it was the boys of Bethlehem that felt the brunt of Herod's fury. And it was the mothers, the, the, the Rachels, left to weep for their children. All the while, the, the one Herod was after had, had fled, escaping to Egypt. Life doesn't always make sense. Why does, why does God allow, allow one to suffer and, and another to thrive? Why is one man born into wealth while another is born into poverty? Why does a, a child get diagnosed with lymphoma while an old man lives to the age of 99 pain-free? The question is, where is God? And maybe you are here today asking these very same questions. Something bad has happened to you. And you are wondering why? How could God allow this? What, what is the, the purpose in my pain? Doesn't God love me? Johnny asks these same questions. How, how could God claim to be loving and, and allow her to suffer the way that she did? She was angry and she couldn't reconcile her faith to her situation in life. That is, until a friend gave her clarity from the gospel. This is what her friend said. Johnny, Jesus knows how you feel. He was paralyzed. He couldn't move or, or change positions on the cross. He was paralyzed by the nails. You, you see, Johnny was coming from this perspective that, that, that this life is all there is. And that her physical health was more important than her spiritual health. Therefore, if, if God was truly loving, he would, he would never allow her to suffer the way that she was. But the gospel demanded that she expand her view. Just as there was purpose in the suffering of Jesus, so too God had a purpose in her pain. And she did not suffer by herself. Similarly, these, these boys of Bethlehem were not alone. There was one more who would suffer with them. This Jesus, born in Bethlehem, but called a Nazarene, would be the last of the innocent to die at the hands of cruel men. Dear friends, 
What, what you have to understand is that God's plan of salvation comes at a cost. There must be sorrow before there is joy. Your sin demands it. In order for God to be both loving and just, a sacrifice must be made. Jesus had to enter into your misery. He had to become a Nazarene, taking on the scorn and the, and the hatred of men. He went to the cross and underwent the fury of another king. There he, he died for your sins so that you would not have to. He became the last of those boys of Bethlehem to die unjustly. Isaiah 43, verses 1 through 3. But now, this is what the Lord says. He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. There are evil forces in our world that want to eliminate God's salvific work. They desire nothing more than death and ruin. And yet, God is with you through your suffering. If you have faith in Christ, then, then the weapons of your enemies, they, they cannot truly harm you. For when you are going through your pain, when you are struggling to move on, when you are like Rachel weeping for her children, then you know that Christ is present with you. He is close to you, treading those, those deep waters of your tears, bringing to you his salvation. For he knows of your grief. For it was, it was he who was in anguish on the cross as he died for you. And now he is asking of you to have faith that no matter what your circumstances may be, that he has your best, best interest at heart. Therefore, turn away from your unbelief and trust in him. He will not leave you. Let us pray. Father, we confess that too often we, we languish in our misery and we forget about the, the suffering of your son and that he is with us through our pain. This Jesus of Nazareth is our comfort. He comes to us in our distress. And we ask now that, that you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon us so that we might believe this message. Give us, give us the faith to trust in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.